Hey, thanks for everyone joining us on the Political Deep Dive tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking with Christine uh, Womack, uh, candidate for LPPA uh, chair. And uh, we'll be talking, of course, about the uh, weekly news, politics, and pop culture, including the uh, getting sick, uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, continuing to do their fun stuff, and uh, the end of the Olympics. So uh, join us here in the next uh, two and a half minutes, and we'll be looking forward to talking to you.
Hey, good evening. Thank you for joining us on the Political Deep Dive. I'm Dave Valente, and this week we are joined by Christine Kostler-Womack. That's Kostler, right? Or Kostler. Kostler. Story of my life, though. Story of my life. Right, right. <laughs> Valente, I get, I'm actually, uh, this is probably the worst part of the year for me because I'm always called Valentine. <sighs> but, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. Is there, there could be worse things. I, I mean, I've been called worse things, certainly. I, I've been called Kristen Kirsten, Christina, because it's with a K, so everyone assumes it's not Christine. Yeah. And then my last name has been Coleslaw, Counselor, Kusler. <laughs> like awful. Children are horrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so you're uh, a candidate for the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania, and we're waiting for some of our other uh, panelists to get on. I know uh, Emily Hurley has been having issues with her computer tonight, so hopefully we'll be seeing her. Uh, and feel free to drop us comments like Mr. Berinsky. Uh, you're on a better show now. Yeah, you just came from another show, didn't you? I did. I was on the Porcupine with Adam Nutter, and uh, okay. I was doing a Q&A with the three candidates for chair. So who else is running for chair with you? Rob Calburn. He's from Allegheny. Allegheny. Um, he is a lawyer and traveling musician. Okay. And I'm an economics grad. He made sure to say those things, you know, and their accomplishments. So they should be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. And then John Waldemerger. Um, who likes to run for like everything. (laughs) John's a good guy. Um, you know, he's running for chair and for secretary. So, but it was the three of us. John is from Bucks County and he is, uh, formerly the newsletter, um, editor and he was on finance. He was on a bunch of committees and he's run some, um, uh, elections or uh, races for campaigns. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, how did you get into the Libertarian Party? Um, I like that question. I get asked all the time, especially with running for chair, um, because I get to talk about my (laughs) ex-husband, which doesn't happen. Positive comments about my ex-husband don't happen too often. Um, The uh, my ex-husband and I were Republicans and, you know, we voted for McCain. I know. I, I made mistakes in my life. Um, I had a lipstick Republican pin from Sarah Palin when she was in New York. Like I made sure I bought that. I thought it was super cool. I think it's upstairs in my attic. I want to find it anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, we were just, we were distraught at the results of that race. And so we were looking for a way to have our voice be heard instead of just picking one of the sides. And he introduced me to Ron Paul. And so that's how I was introduced to libertarianism. However, that is not what kept me into libertarianism. It's the activists. It's the, the Jen Moores. It's the Steve Sheets. It's the Spike Cohens. It's, it's all those people that are out on the ground doing the work, spreading the message that have kept me in the party. Um, I became active in the party and changed my registration in 2016. And, uh, and then I worked on the Gary Johnson campaign locally. And then I got sexually harassed by some people in the local affiliate. So I kind of backed away for a minute. And then I came back in 2018 and I've been the vice chair of York County. I've been the community organizer. Um, and then in 2020, I was the um, state manager for that lady right there. Um, Joe Joy, I guess there's a big flag too. Um, but I was the state manager with Sam Robb for the Joe Jorgensen campaign. And, you know, I just... I volunteered to do some events for it and they were like, Ooh, you want to do work. So we're going to put you to more work, um, which is, you know, key in libertarianism. So I just kind of got thrown into the state aspect then, but Ron Paul, 
brought me in, but he's not what kept me. Yeah, I always say that uh, attend libertarian events, win libertarian prizes, and those prizes usually involve jobs and responsibility. Um, I yeah. really 12 hats, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody really uh, who's on the ground uh, has multiple hats uh, all the time. And um, I, I guess that's part of the issue of why we, we get a lot of people that get burnt out of, you know, doing continuing to do work or they, they do a, a stint, uh, you know, like myself, I did a stint as state chair now I'm and on the LNC and I'm like, I need a break. I need to step back and, and think about myself for a while. But um, you've been involved. Uh, so now with the, the Jorgensen campaign, you, you've gotten off that. Now you are, you've been involved in the Molten Maneuver in mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. Talk about that to anybody who has not heard what the Bolton Maneuver is and why it elected 170 plus libertarians in 2020. Uh, tell, tell us about the Bolton Maneuver. So the Bolton Maneuver was cre created or established at least in Pennsylvania by um, Dr. Chuck Moulton. And, you know, what he did was he realized that there was vacancies, um, positions in the, in the government that people were not running anyone for. And what happens with those positions is they get to appoint their friends and that's that's not okay. Um, you know, these are people that are are set to do stuff for our counties and our boroughs and our townships, and they should be elected by by the constituents. So what he has done is he's got this system um, that he's kind of perfected and is working on all the time, uh, where we identify the races that have no one running for them. And then they send out a mailer to all of the registered libertarians in the state in those counties and encourage them to run. And what they do is they don't tell them that they'll win, but they're like, there's no one else running. So like your chance if you're on the ballot is very good. Um, in total in the state this past uh, in 2021, we got 176 people elected into office. Now, to be frank, not every one of them will take office. But vast majority, I would probably say about 160 of them will. Um, and then you add that to the list of, I think, 35 that we had still in office previously. We have over we have about 200 people, which is more than the whole country combined. Um, you know, and one of the things that I want to do as chair is something we did in York was take the molten maneuver and then kind of hawkify it. Um, you know, Chuck does great work in Jen and West Benedict do great work with this program. Um, but what I would like to do is what we do in York and we um, look at the races beforehand. You know, we look and see who's on the ballot and identify where there's no one running so that we can start soliciting for that position before the molt maneuver letters go out. Because the problem that we're trying to kind of figure out a way around is primaries happen in May and then we don't get the results until mid-June. And then paperwork has to be submitted by the first week in August. So that only gives you a month and a half to find people to run for office, to get them the paperwork, to get the signatures, to get them on the ballot, to submit and to submit all the paperwork. That's a, that's not that much time. Um, so there, you know, there are flaws in the system and it basically is because of the government. Um, but by trying to identify those positions beforehand, like York has done, um, will help in expediting that process. Absolutely. And I want to welcome to our show, Emily. How are you doing, Emily? Hello. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> and we've uh, got new people coming into the, into the chat on uh, YouTube. Thanks to all our viewers on YouTube. But Craig, thank you for, for joining us. You're never late to the party. The party will go on. Just come <laughs> and hang out with us, man. Uh, so uh, now you 
your husband ran for office in this last election, mm -hmm. was elected, yes, but has had issues getting uh, being seated in, in his seat. So talk about that a little bit. So my husband was a stupid 21 year old, <laughs> um, as many of us have made poor decisions back then. And uh, he got caught and he served his time and he's lived an upstanding life that is community oriented since. Um, and we looked at, through the laws. We looked at precedent in our county. Our, the mayor of York City is a felon um, from 20 years prior to his you know, election. And so everything that we saw said that he could run for office. Um, so we submitted the paperwork. It wasn't challenged. Mm -hmm. And he stood outside of the the polling place for 12, uh, 10 to 12 hours that day because um, he knew that he was running unopposed, but he wanted people to know who he was voting, who they were voting for before they did. Um, he actually garnered 95% of the votes in our borough. And there was he was running for a two-year seat on the borough council. And there's four people running uncontested for four seats on the four-year term. And he got more votes than all four of those people. And they've been staples in the community. So, I mean, there was a, there was a desire to have him in office, definitely. Um, someone in our community, I have an idea of who, um, ended up filing a complaint with the borough due to his past. And the DA took it up and they uh, challenged him, filed an injunction to keep him from taking the oath of office. Uh, we ended up starting a fund, trying to look into legal recourse. Um, he ended up, after talking to a number of lawyers, including, this is actually a funny story, including um, the day he kind of decided that he wasn't going to fight it anymore, we had our county meeting. And at that county meeting, a lawyer came who was interested in learning about the Libertarian Party who defended someone in a very similar case to my husband years prior in the Pennsylvania appellate court. It was like this weird, like cosmic kismic situation. And so he ended up, you know, um, questioning him, you know, asking him questions about whether he should pursue it or not. And he told him that it shouldn't have ever went to the Pennsylvania appellate court, um, the way that it was processed and everything. And that, um, his best bet would be to go for a pardon. So that's where we're at right now. He had a meeting with the DA. The DA is going to write him a letter of recommendation and um, help to expedite the process for a pardon with the Board of Pardons. So normally that process takes about two to three years. And um, the DA is saying that he can help expedite it to maybe a year. So um, he's getting letters of recommendation. Jen from the state has offered one. Spike Cohen has offered to write him a letter of recommendation. Um, his employer and things like that. So he's definitely got the support behind him and he's got the DA support, which is really great. And he's already started working with some organizations to help with criminal reform. That's that's fantastic. Uh, I mean, I, it's awful that he's he's not being allowed to to, to uh, take office, but it's fantastic that that you're taking this situation and, and creating positive change out of it. So um, I know that there are some other candidates within Pennsylvania that have faced the, the same issues. Um, yes. Talk about some of those. Um, yes. Uh, there's one person who won mayor up in north, northeast, north central Pennsylvania. Um, while their cases are kind of similar because of felonies and convictions and what have you, um, there's a time difference, um, you know, Dave's stuff was nearly 20 years ago. This person's things, um, the conviction was six months ago. Now, granted, the charges were applied seven years ago, 
and then they were in court for those seven years. Um, you know, and I talked to this person. Um, I don't want to put her, put their name on blast because, sure, sure. you know, it's not my business. But, you know, I did talk to this person about the, their situation. And I told them that if I were in their shoes, based on what Dave's facing and everything, I, I wouldn't fight it. Because, you know, Dave can't take office and his stuff is nearly 20 years ago. And he's gotten a proven track record. Not saying that this person is bad, um, but he's got, you know, years between. Um, and he did you know, three and a half, four years in, in prison, you know, if he's literally proven that he's a different person um, and they're not allowing him to take office, you know, I really think her case is going to, their, their case is going to be significantly more difficult because the conviction was seven, you know, last June, I think it was. Um, so I, I did talk to them about how I think that, you know, I think for their mental sanity, that it would be something that I wouldn't pursue, but they are pursuing it from my understanding. And I, wish them luck and hopefully maybe it changes the precedent. And that's what Dave's actually working on is, is trying to change and reaching out to legislation uh, re representatives and senators and things like that, because, you know, it's, it, there's an argument to be made for cruel and unusual punishment for something you've already served your time for. And, you know, he wants to serve his community and he's being stopped. He actually, his criminal record is actually preventing him from doing his entire job at his regular job because uh, he's a contractor with cabinets and countertops and they do some government jobs. And because of his past, he can't even go on the job site. So it's literally prohibiting him from, you know, earning a paycheck. I mean, he gets yeah. a paycheck, but you know what I mean? Which is, which is strange because I mean, we've had uh, federal legislation about, uh, you know, getting rid of the checkbox on, on applications and things like that. Uh, there is appetite has been appetite in the last few years about getting some kind of criminal justice reform that is, you know, uh, one of the tenets of, of criminal justice and, and, and people doing time is they're restored. Once they have done their time, they should have things like their rights to vote, their rights to run for office, uh, to, to be restored, especially if it hasn't specifically been written into their judgment that they shouldn't. I mean, there, there are some people that I don't know that should be allowed to run for office, but, there, you know, a lot of a lot of people have spent time in prison for really suspect crap. Stupid stuff, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and There's a whole uh, social construct of um, treating felons and or not even felons, but people who have been in jail as third class citizens. Um, it, it, it's a problem endemic with, with society. Um, and it's the Karens of the world who act based solely on fear without thinking uh that perpetuate this and they're but that's they use the government as their bludgeon and yep. so the, they're absolutely part of the problem and this is absolutely a symptom of something that we are we need to fight against and bring light to um to make was, real change in government not just individual lives you know yeah, one of the points Dave kept bringing up, you know, that I tried to reiterate when I was trying to spread the message of, you know, what he was trying to do is if this is what's affecting a 40 year old white man, like how's affecting communities of color who, you know, the, the war on drugs has affected and they've been, you know, at 17 charged as an adult with a drug felony. And now that's on their permanent record forever. And, you know, it's stopping them from being able to turn their life around and be a pillar in their community, you know, and want to serve. And if that's the case, you know, um, we found out in Florida 
they allow people with with criminal backgrounds to run for office. You just have to fill out this form and disclose it. You know, I'm not opposed to something like that up here, you know, having full transparency. And that's one of the reasons why Dave was opposed to getting a pardon at first, because he doesn't want to hide from his past. He has a success story and he wants to shout it from the rooftop that, you know, you know, I think there's a 46% rate for people to go back to jail. And, you know, when he got out of prison, said it was in, uh, yeah. Yeah, that thank you. It's a big word, and I've been drinking vodka because I was on Adam Nutter show. So <laughs> he's a good guy, but I, you know, was prepared for myself. Um, you know, when Dave got out, it was like fifty-six. It was, it was, you know, it hasn't changed that much, and we need to realize that the only way that we can ask get these people to move on with their life and to have that second chance is by giving that opportunity. And, you know, with the way that the system is currently set up, that's not happening. Yeah. Uh, we had a question from the audience. Ryan Berinsky asks, uh, will you commit to collecting signatures for the best candidate in Pennsylvania, Liz Terwilliger? I'm surprised. I'm glad you said that name, Rick, because I, I know her and I say it wrong all the time. Um, <laughs> um, Ryan, to answer your question, I absolutely will. Uh, regardless of what happens in Williamsport, my goal is getting libertarians on the ballot. And Liz is like the hardest working. I'm second, but the hardest working libertarian in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, she deserves, she is a likely candidate to win um, the community outreach she does. I, I would be, I would be dumb of me not to come up and I will be up there actually next weekend for her homeless event. She's doing a sleep out. Oh. I will be sleeping in Northern Pennsylvania outside in February. Ooh. That's how much I love Liz Terwilliger <laughs> and support. Hardy. Yeah. I, I, full disclosure. I, I donate uh, monthly to Liz's campaign. Uh, I think she's, she's fantastic. And at least I got her name right tonight. So I'm batting 500 right now. So. Yep. <laughs> so uh, talk about your goals as, as you know, running for state chair. What are your goals for the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania? I, I mean, arguably, this is one of the most successful affiliates in the, the, the state. I mean, not some people complain about it, but the results are there. Yep. And uh, what, what, do you, what are your goals uh, to bring it forward into 2024, 2022 and 20. I'd argue we are the most successful affiliates in the country. I, yeah, I can't, I can't argue but, against that. No. Um, you know, with that said, we are not perfect. We have a lot of divisiveness in our, in our states. We have a lot of partisan lines and <laughs> thank you, Ryan. Um, and you know, we need to find a way to work together despite our differences. And I think that my experience working on the Joe Jorgensen campaign with people from all backgrounds is gives me a leg up in all of this because I've proven that I can work um, with people from any pack or caucus or anything like that. Um, and that's my goal is to try and find that common ground that we can all build that foundation from and then move forward on policy changes, getting people elected. Um, you know, for me, one of the things that I want to do is, is make sure that we're putting up good candidates for these offices that are contested, because that's how we get this messaging. I know everyone talks about this bold messaging and this edgy Lord, edge Lord messaging. You know, for me, that messaging comes from our candidates and we need to be putting up good candidates because they don't care what the three of us say. 
because we're not running for office. We're not on the ballot. We, we're not going to be a spokesperson for the people. But when Tim McMaster was running for the PA Senate 48th district, you know, he was, on, I had him on the, with the League of Women Voters, with the NAACP, he was out with their districts. He was with the legalized 420 or the legalized, you know, medical marijuana or whatever. He was being the representative of the Libertarian Party, introducing these organizations to who we are as a party and what we stand for. And that is one of my goals is to make sure that that work continues and we still get that representation. Um, you know, I also want to make sure that we're building the county affiliates. York is very successful. I would argue that we're the six, most successful one in the in the state. Um, and Ryan, I'll fight you on that if you want. Um, and uh, but you know, we had 14 libertarians elected in York County alone. That's more than some states have entirely. So you know, we are very successful. And there's a lot of things that we do down here. And I want to be able to give those resources out to the other counties, how to find events to set up at, how some events don't allow for political parties or political associations to participate. Um, you know, what kind of literature you should have out, things that draw people in, you know, community events that you can do. We do trash cleanups periodically throughout the year. Some people in my county think they're tra like trash. They think that they're useless, worthless, and have no purpose, serve no purpose. But when we're out there, we've gotten media coverage on them. We've talked to, you know, people who live in the area. And, you know, my goal as chair is to give this, those resources, that information out so that people can do what York is doing and has been doing and has been successful at. That's fantastic. I mean, I, uh, you know, that kind of activism is needed, not just in Pennsylvania, but all over the country. I mean, yeah. that, you're right. I mean, York has uh, 11 more elected members than the entire state of West Virginia. So, uh, you know, that's that's amazing. Uh, I, you know, York probably has more people than West Virginia, but <laughs> that's another discussion. Um, let's see. Ryan makes a good point. They had three countywide candidates. They did have three. OK. And then... York had a, a PA Senate candidate that received 3.4% of the entire vote, which is the most any libertarian has received in the state of Pennsylvania. Nice. Uh, encourage in individuals to seek action from committees or continue to have them uh, individuals bring motion. Sorry, this makes no sense. <laughs> I get what he's trying to convey. Uh, this is a big point in our eight and a half hour meeting yesterday for the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania, which is a whole other subject of what my goal is for chair. Um, but, you know, in a, okay. Ours was a four-way race for Tim. Just want to say that. Anyway, um, the, uh, the committee should be workshopping. And if someone has a question about uh, something or has a concern, they should be bringing it to the committee to help them in navigating that concern and addressing it. We are a bottom up organization. Clean, clean as day. Yesterday, I was removed as the board rep for membership from the state. You know, we preach all the time that we're a bottom-up organization, but the state party, the state board dictated how a committee was supposed to be represented on the board, and that's not okay. And if they're going to do it to me, what's to say that it's not going to happen to someone else? And that's not okay. Whether I like that person or not, whether I agree with them or not, it's not okay. The committee is in charge of their goal, their their responsibilities, whatever is set forth in the bylaws and the policy manual, the constitution, that committee is responsible for that. And that is who should be being addressed when it comes to credentialing. Membership should be addressed. When it comes to the email servers, IS should be addressed. When it comes to 
fundraising, finance should be addressed. Those are the committees that are responsible for those tasks, and that's who should be communicated with those. Any ask regarding those what uh, should be coming from those committees. It should not be coming from so-and-so um, because they should be working with those committees because, again, we wouldn't be telling York or uh, Susquehanna Valley what to do in their counties because we are a bottom-up organization. Okay. Um, so let's talk about why do you guys have just eight-hour, nine-hour, three-day-long donor party type <laughs> Where everyone gets trashed by the end of <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it it into a party. I mean, I, I could understand that, but there's a lot of acrimony. There's a lot of laugh. So um, Jen has tried really hard this past year to to run those meetings as efficiently as possible. And, you know, when I was looking back at minutes and stuff during, you know, the audit that we just did, um, you know, I realized that the meetings we had last summer were only like two hours, maybe three. Like they weren't they weren't what they are. Um, so it makes you like wonder what happened between like July and now, and it was a lot of divisiveness in the party. It was a lot of personal egos, I believe, uh, in my opinion, um, a lot of personal agendas. And, um, it's unfortunate because there was a lot of work that needed to be done. Um, but there was a lot of revenge. I mean, we talked about trying to remove the executive director a number of times and, you know, then they tried to do it again yesterday. They tried, well, he not to remove him, but to censure him, you know, there there's things that are warranted. Um, and then there's things that aren't, and there's things that are important and need to go through the board. And there's things that are not, there's things that should be up to the purview of the committee and they're not being given that permission. I mean, and then part of the reason is all like Jen tried to do the, the agenda. Um, You're sick, man. <laughs> Ryan, poor he did. He loves chaos. Um, you know, Jen tries to put the agenda, tried to put the agenda out a week, you know, the Sunday before the meeting. And, you know, there's things that happen. There's some committees that didn't meet till the next day. There are um, some people who tried to do last minute motions. There are some people who try to bully motions onto the agenda. Um, and it just becomes a shit show, to be honest, for lack of another term. And, you know, it really comes down to it's not the chair's responsibility for the length of the meeting. It's the bods. No, it, yeah. I, I will say that uh, I've had uh, Jen on my show before and, and I, I adore Jen. I think she's one of the hardest working folks out there. She, and she has put up with so much so shit. Much. And uh, I would have lost my shit on people. I, I at, as state chair, I had meetings that, you know, uh, my, uh, my my philosophy on meetings is no fucky roundy. Let's get let's let's do it yep. and, and get out and you know if we want to after the meeting talk and bullshit and all that stuff that's great. Hey, you know that I I don't have a problem with that. But the business get it done and get off. Yep. And and then and be on with it. But uh, yeah, I mean I, I I can't say enough good things about Jen because uh, the way that she has conducted herself uh, in the face of all of this. And, uh, you know, um, she's earned a well-earned rest once uh, she, once mm -hmm. the convention is over and she'll probably sleep for a month. <laughs> yeah. 
she will probably sleep longer than that. I know that she's planned on, she's planned some camping trips with her family and she definitely deserves a break. And, you know, she's told me a number of times, the only reason she ran is because she wanted to make sure the molt maneuver was successful. And regardless of all the stonewalling, all the organizational sabotage, as some people are referring to it, you know, she made the molt maneuver successful. So she did the job she came to do. Yeah. I, you know what? And, and when I, the problem I have with all the stuff that's been going on is that, you know, the whole takeover is where they've targeted is they want to take, take over the, like the most successful affiliates yeah. uh, and, and really kind of hamstring us going into 2022 and 2024. And I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about all of that, that going down. So, um, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to. I'll, I'll be in Pennsylvania for the the convention. Uh, should nice. be a fun time. Um, uh, I will be mom slash candidate because <laughs> my son will be there with us. I will be uh, drunk the whole time. That's a good possibility. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't. I don't know. I I haven't really been drinking much uh, the last uh, few months. So I've, uh, maybe maybe cannabis. But well, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I'm looking forward to, to seeing you there. I saw you, I'm, I met you at the, uh, region five training. Yes. Yep. Um, in August or. Yeah. With my car that with the broken back windshield. Yep. Yeah. That was, uh, that was a fun weekend though. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I, I really enjoyed that, that weekend, the training that they did, but, um, uh, so Tell anybody, tell everybody how they can find out information about you, and and uh, if they want to, you know, especially our viewers in Pennsylvania, if they're interested in, in helping you out and what what they need to do. Well, um, I'm pretty simple. I just have a Facebook page. Um, it's just Christine Kessler Womack for LPPA Chair. There, I post some of my history, some of the things that I'm into and do, um, and some of my experience from Joe Jorgensen's campaign to some of the stuff that I was in with my youth. I've, I've used Robert rules for over 20 years in my life. So I'm very familiar. I mean, I still need to clean up and refresh myself on some of the newer edition stuff, but I'm familiar with the basics of Roberts and, um, you Rona know, cancer. what Rona is cancer <laughs> can be when manipulated and abused. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was talking to Lee in Lee in Lehigh, Lee in Lehigh. And he's like, you know, we were talking about Roberts and he was like, you know, the purpose of Roberts was to keep a meeting moving. It was not to stonewall things. It was not to obstruct the work to be done. And in fact, you know, part from what he was saying, the initial uh, use of Roberts was actually if someone to sell someone that something's out of order, Lee said, was actually out of order. via Roberts to tell someone that it's out of order because you're just stonewalling and obstructing the meeting and the progress to be done. So it's more disciplinary action should be taken. So that's one thing that I'm looking more into is those people that are disruptive, what the ability of the chair is outside of the purview of the bylaws and constitution and policy manual um, to try and make sure that our meetings move effectively and efficiently. Facebook, LPPA chair, Christine, and you'll find all this stuff where I'm at, what podcast I'm going to be on. Cause I'm on two, I'm on three this week coming up. So I, and I, I have to give you lots of credit for your, your stamina. You, you came right from a podcast <laughs> this evening, right onto my podcast. 
Uh, and I went to bed at two two thirty in the morning and woke up at six thirty. Oh. Yeah. And I went to church and cleaned my house and took care of my child. Yeah. I am I I've been told that I am an energizer bunny and that I put thirty hours of work into a twenty four hour day because um, I'm also the PTO president of my son's school. Oh, wow. I'm a substitute paraprofessional in the school district and I'm a community organizer um, in the, in my local County and in borough where I organize uh, like um, vendor shows and community outreach things. So I, I do a lot, <laughs> but yeah, it's, because like of, it's because of teamwork. It's not just me, it's teamwork. And that's what, you know, I want to bring to the state. Fantastic. Well, I'm, uh, Happy, we we've got our fourth to come on, Mr. With Dan Richmond. He is probably getting his mic and camera set up on the screen. OBS. <laughs> I am. Cool. I am sorry. I hear you, man. It's all timing, good. Dan. It's all good. Uh, so, uh, best of luck in 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 your race. So, we're gonna get Thank into you. the the news of the week. Um, we just heard, found out today that uh, Queen Elizabeth II has contracted COVID from uh, probably Charles. Probably. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, Camilla. I don't know. But uh, she's 95 years old. There's always the worry, you know, that she is. But she's been vaccinated. She's been boosted, all that fun stuff. Um, it's always concerning when a 95-year-old gets anything, really. I mean, not, not even just COVID. Like, the a, a normal cold is a cause for worry. Um, basically, anything that causes a a bout of pneumonia. Um, oh, we got uh, welcome, Dan. <laughs> What's up, Aaron? Right on. So, uh, you know, the first my first thought about this is right. This is probably the most protected person on the planet yeah. from COVID, and she still got it. Yeah. So got the best medical staff and everything. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it just goes to show you that. Uh, you know, it is A, insidious, but B, the best laid plans of mice and men uh, can't necessarily stop things. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it goes without saying, do what you can. I mean, it's good that she didn't get it for two years. I think that's better than uh, the alternatives. But, uh, you know, at, at what price? Yeah, uh, you know, I, this will be, and I've said it before, that, that COVID will be a very interesting case study in the next 20 years as to, you know, the impact of the responses and all of that stuff, you know, where things like suicide have gone up, that med people's mental health has gone up, kids' abilities in schools has gone down, um, you know, that... Uh, listening to teachers all the time talking about how kids, you know, didn't have that year and a half or two years in school are just they and all their test scores are going to go up. Well, they, they, they've regressed. They, they've uh, they, they can't really function in a classroom environment anymore. And yeah, some people will say that's an improvement. I, yeah. I actually work in the school. Um, I, I'm a paraprofessional, so I'm at more yeah. of a teacher's aide, but you know, my son's in second grade and you know, when I look at his reading levels, you know, standard second grader at this point in the year should be at an M level reading. And, you know, he was a little bit behind previously because being young and stuff for his grade, but 
they've gotten to the point where they are not looking at that. They're not looking at those benchmarks anymore. They're just looking for progress throughout the school year. And we see it with the first graders, especially because they've never had even remotely a real classroom experience. You know, my son at least had half of his kindergarten year where it was normal and then it went to virtual, but first grade, they don't, they don't know how to do like anything. And it's really, you know, they're learning every day and, you know, they're growing and progressing, but they're, they're really behind what the standard first graders should know and do. And, uh, and that's, that's a problem. And we're going to see that in, you know, state assessments and testing and everything as, as we go forward. You know, I think with testing going forward, especially, you know, we, we tend to use testing to compare ourselves internationally with, you know, some of the Scandinavian countries and, and we always end up lagging behind those countries. But the one thing that, that we don't talk about with those standardized test scores is that uh, we take all of our students' test scores and put them up against Finland's test scores. Finland's generally, their test scores are against kids that have been placed into uh, at more advanced uh, learning academies and things like that. Um, uh, you know, Finland and Sweden, they, they do some things that I, that I agree with as far as their education system goes. Uh, if you're going to continue a, a public education system that the parents have the control of the money, they send their chil children wherever they want to go to a certain point, and then they test in to get into like college preparatory stuff. So we, when we test our students, our test numbers are all of our students versus the college prep kids in right. Sweden and Finland. And it's even more than that, though. So I, I am a former teacher, and I taught in Massachusetts, which if Massachusetts were tested as a country as its own, it's number four in the world. The problem is Mississippi. Mississippi <laughs> is dragging the United States down, and, and maybe West Virginia, but hey, it is a... Hey. Uh, but you know, it was specifically Dave. Yes. <laughs> right. Specifically Dave. If you would stop sneaking into the high school, <laughs> those standardized tests. 21 drunk street. <laughs> you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but I believe like we used to be number one in education back in like the 40s and stuff like that. And then when you know we got Department of Education and everything like that, our test stores our test scores and you know, just assessments in general just started plummeting. And there's a, there's a lot to that. There's also though, you know, it's one of those things that if your job is to pass a test or to teach kids to pass a test, and then you get paid more if you're not doing your job well, right? The indication that is that the kids aren't passing. And so when you have to spend more money on education, it's a terrible system. It's a terrible way of assessing what happens. Now, I do actually like assessments for how well are kids learning certain things but it shouldn't be based on you know it's first of all those tests shouldn't be written by the teachers secondly what i'm saying we're all agreeing with craig shut up dan we're agreeing with craig <laughs> well, then the second thing about it is that you know when we write when we talk about what happens in terms of what we think kids should learn there's this whole sliding scale of the fact that, you know, what we think kids should learn now is so different from just 10 years ago. You know, even though, you know, we would say, oh, yeah, you know, 10 years ago we had the Internet, we had computers and stuff like that. But you look at what's out there now in terms of skills yeah. and it's a completely different set. I mean, the idea, honestly, you know, young kids know this, that it's not really important to know everything. It's important how to to know how to find the answer to everything. 
Yeah. Then there's some things that you should know, but it, it's more important to know how to use the internet as a research skill. Now, I remember typing class when I when I would learn how to type, too? and now they're like kids are just like, and I'm like, I I legitimately learned how to. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how like far everything's come. Yeah, they can type like 500 words a minute with their thumbs. I mean, like <laughs> I, I remember having to put that on my resume when I was like applying for sec secretarial jobs. Like you know, I do 90 yeah. words per minute because that was like awesome and now it's like no one cares because everyone uses a computer <laughs> well right and you know so many people dictate everything that they use now too yep. yeah. like i mean i i i get irritated when i'm in a room with other people and i have to type a message because i have to do it like this instead of text dave that i will be late to the show tonight <laughs> 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 Well, did y'all see that the CDC just recently, for the first time in 20 uh, years, uh, changed developmental milestones for children? Oh, no, I did not. Yeah, wild. And it's like they delayed everything. Um, so, you know, crawling is no longer a milestone. Um, walking has been pushed back a few months. Uh, speaking has been pushed back a few months. Like, I, what are your thoughts on the interconnectedness of that? And, um, you know, is it connected with COVID? Is it connected with testing? What, what, what are your thoughts? Is it connected to anything? So my son was um, eight weeks early. So he had to go through early intervention where they taught him, you know, to, to do the crawling and the walking and, you know, to, because being two months early, he would be seven months old doing five month old stuff. Um, I don't know why they would do that. I don't feel like COVID is a, a, that because the kid is always at home or a daycare regardless. Um, I, I'm more baffled to be <laughs> honest. Well, yeah, that's the, the only reason I brought COVID up was because yeah. that's, it's the only when everything thing else that's really kind of, changed. Yeah. The only yeah. thing, you know, everything gets contributed. You know, we do this now because of COVID. This is how this is now because of COVID. So it would make sense to say that, is it because of COVID? Um, I, 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 think, I don't know that there's a parallel. <laughs> I think that there's also a, uh, you know, those those developmental milestones for the people who know them, they are incredibly nerve wracking. So again, having been a teacher, and I was a special ed teacher for seven years. Um, when my colleagues would have children, they were so freaked out because, so so this is this is called the Palmer grasp, and this is called the pincer grasp. And if your baby doesn't do the pincer grasp by a certain amount of time, you're like, oh, no, everything's broken. But in reality, before we knew all this stuff, we're like, oh, you know, babies just develop the way they are. And I do think that there is an understanding that a lot of the developmental scales freak parents out all the time. Oh, yeah. And so it's almost better to say, you know, your kid's going to do what your kid's going to do. And if he's not doing this by then, uh, you know, you know, it's an interesting thing. Thank you. Uh, uh I was going to say Mr. or Mrs. Hagen, but it may be a cat. So thank you, uh, <laughs> Meow, Meow Hagen. Hagen. <laughs> uh, uh, so, you know, special education is one of those things that I always tell people. People say, oh, you know, you had to be, must be so patient to do it. It's like math. Some people are just good at math. Uh, it's not, you know, you're just born with that thing. I was, you know, because of my own, you know, being on the spectrum somewhere. I had a natural affinity in working with that population. It was awesome. I used to wake up every day and be like, yes, work today. Uh, and then I got to a place where I thought I was going to get married and have kids. And I thought I couldn't do it on a teacher's salary. And so I went back to school for a computer science degree. 
which wasn't the worst thing to do in the 90s. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the stress that's involved with these developmental milestones, I would be happier if they put those away. Very funny. Um, <laughs> if they push those away and just said, you know, here's what you should be doing. Your kid should be doing certain things along the way. Now, there are milestones that are important, like the growth milestones and things like that. Right. That's a big deal. Uh, my my nephew, uh, like, was growing along normally, and then uh, all of a sudden he just dropped off the bottom of the growth chart, like went from normal to bottom 5% in about six months. And his mom, who was uh, at the time a clinical uh a clinical dietitian. She worked in a hospital. She's like, this is not right. Uh, and it was the growth charts that let them know, hey, you know, start looking for this, things like that. Yep. To make a long story short, it was like an appetite-based disorder and like hmm. eating, well, it's two things actually. So what was the nerve at the bottom of his intestine that says, move the food out of the stomach was broken. Uh, and so it wouldn't take food out of his stomach and so it got to the point that like eating was painful for him. Yeah. And if you're a two-year-old, that yeah. really fucks with the rest of your life. Yeah. Because you think of eating as something terrible. Uh, and so his mom, being a dietitian, like you know, she's like, I just have to get calories into this kid one way or the other. And so like they would like feed him coconut milk and there's also everything that they could think of until finally they figured out. And as it turns out, it was a cannabis-based medicine that is the trigger. Uh, you know, we know that it does stuff for appetites sort of instinctively, but it also triggers that thing that says, hey, you know what? Let's process some food. And uh, so yeah. thank goodness that we were able to find cannabis medicine. Emily, I, um, you know, I was trying to process what you asked and I, I just remembered a statistic and I looked it up while Dan was talking is that birth rates are down, too. And I, I bring this up because um a lot of my friends who have multiples and I'm, I'm, I'm an only child, but a lot of my friends who have multiples, their children, as they, they have more, they tend to hit those milestones a little sooner. And it's because they've got siblings that they see and are able to learn yeah. from it. And part of it might be because birth rates are yeah. down and mm -hmm. there's a lot more single child households um, or even just two child. And they're so close in age that that might be having a play in it too. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. That's interesting. I mean, I know the birth rate's been down, and uh, you know, uh, basically, as as countries really move into uh, deeper into the, to economic development, the the birth rates tend to, to drop, uh, as you see across Europe, in the United States, uh, Japan. Uh, as economies develop, and the the you know, you don't need as many kids to work the farm, so um, you know, it's you don't need kids to work the farm, farm, and it becomes apparent that the fewer children you have, the more resources you can devote towards them. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, if, if it weren't for immigration, the United States would have a declining population. Yeah. Uh, and that's been true for a while. Uh, and Europe is the same way. Yeah. The census page says it's down 4.606% since 2019. Which is, you know, almost counterintuitive because you you think that people get stuck at home alone or stuck at home with each other you might have more kids <laughs> but, I mean, it's not like it's not like the the great blackout you know new york city blackout where nine months later they have this massive baby right but <laughs> also you know you have uh the people who are already living together know how to not have children 
Yep. It's the casual <laughs> hookups that have really gone away. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And honestly, there's also a lot of medical conditions. Like I, I have, uh, I struggled with infertility, so I had to do medical procedures to have my son. And there's a huge price tag that's associated with those that if I were in that position right now today, I wouldn't be able to, to do yeah, it. Yeah. I was, I was fortunate with the health insurance and stuff I had at the time and super fortunate. It cost me probably less than around 10 grand for about $40,000 worth of procedure. So, um, you know, but that's also something, you know, I'm, I'm seeing it more and more people having secondary infertility and, you know, initial infertility and having to do all these processes. And, you know, that comes with a, a really big price tag. Price tag. And you can't get into the hospital for non-critical yep. procedures right now. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Now, the interesting thing about it is, Will there, you know, I knock on wood. This is going to be the last terrible year. I hope. Shut your um, mouth. What have you just done to us? <laughs> it's 2022. Right. You just literally screwed us for it to be a duplicate for 2020. <laughs> but, uh, you know, will there be, will there be another baby boom because of that? I mean, I know, think there was going to be one, it would have already happened. Like we would have seen an increase because of people being quarantined at home. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, with inflation, well, I don't know. I think people, I think people are not going to be bringing yeah, children well, into this world. I'm very thankful. I, I have one right now. Yeah. You're going to see the mistakes come out again. The, the people are going to get out and hook up and, and have the, I hate to say mistake child, but the, the accidental children. I mean, as a society, we're pretty good about that doesn't really happen a lot anymore not like it used to right no. i mean the 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 massive availability of birth control like it used to be that people understood it but it was less sure yes or something like that but now there's so many different things people can use condoms are everywhere there's you know women have more options than they ever had although this is me saying men Please be responsible. It's your job as much as anybody else's. Yes. Um, yeah, they've got the day after pill. You know, you got exactly. Options. There's so many options. Exactly. You do, but you also have states like Texas and Mississippi, and uh, you know, my state's looking at putting in the same restrictions on abortion and and things like that that, that help take care of some of those uh, pregnancies as well. The uh, the 3D printed IUD is a year away. Um. All sorts of you know ma massive changes like that but so so it's a lot people are a lot more deliberate i think in their choices but that's a good thing at least in my well my if you think about the beginning of idiocracy though like that they explained this is exactly what's happening the, the smart people stop having children <laughs> yep, no, it's exactly true uh but so so here's here's one of my favorite yeah. quotes education is the cut on the diamond of intelligence Yes. But we're all gems and we all sparkle in different lights. Absolutely. Absolutely. I get asked all the time if I'm going to have any more. And I'm like, why? He was like pretty perfect when I made him. I, I don't want any Break more. Them Break them all. Yep. Uh, so uh, I'm getting tired of this story, but <laughs> Russia. Don't bring and it up again. <laughs> uh, Russia and Ukraine. Will you guys just fuck already? <laughs> I mean, so Zelensky is taking the West not doing enough to help Ukraine, although we're probably weapons and all kinds of uh, 
you know, troops and all, got, all that good stuff. Um, Putin says he was going to move troops back off a little bit. Now they're doing more exercises, including nuclear exercises in, in Belarus. Um, and now we're starting to see, you know, false flag reports and accusations of, you know, manufactured terrorism, the Donbass region, uh, and then the rebel leaders of the uh, East and the Western uh, rebel factions in Ukraine are uh, now saying either to the, the civilians should evacuate and um, it, it just feels like we're being pushed into this war. Like there, there really is no reason for us to go into this war, but we're being pushed into it because I mean, we've got political leaders who don't know how to say no. One, one of the things that like I'm, there's a few things that I'm surprised haven't happened, but I mean, we land UN observers in other places like that, right? I'm not a big fan of the UN or getting involved, so I, but here's the scenario where I would want to do it. Okay, you know what? Send the UN. Friggin' send Chinese troops. China's part of the UN. Send Chinese troops in eastern Ukraine. Let's see how happy the Russians are to shell them then. Um, but they're just, they're not looking for a solution. And I will tell you, you know, if I were a conspiracy person, and I am a libertarian, <laughs> I would say this has something to do with the midterms. Oh, This is a distraction yeah. from everything else. Oh yeah, just like everything else is for the midterms. I mean, democratic states that are opening up and and changing their mandates and everything like yeah, that. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a game. Yep, yep. I completely agree with that. And so, you know, what's going to happen here? I don't know. Uh, I do kind Yikes. of wonder if uh, <laughs> I, I do kind of wonder if this is something that, like, you know is really this was because we don't know what the hell Putin wants. We don't, there's no, nothing that's really that he can get out of this. He can't get the pipeline. If anything, he makes the pipeline less likely to happen. I mean, I do think that to a certain extent, they understand that this is the last hurrah for fossil fuels. Uh, you know, fossil fuels are like, so David and I are of an age where we've been hearing people say for the last 35 years, well, fossil fuels are all going to be used up soon. We have to do something else. All right, so fossil fuels are never going to be used up. We've become really good at finding them. But renewables are really coming online now. And so this is it. You know, Putin recognizes the fact they're sitting on top of one of the largest reserves of fossil fuels, but they can't get it out of their country. And if they don't get it out in the next 10 years, it's too late. Nobody's yeah. going to want all that stuff. So he wants to get paid. But this clearly isn't going to make it happen any faster. So, I mean, from the Russian perspective, and I, I, um, I'll take this from, from my teaching from uh, John Moran out of Kennesaw State University. He actually worked in the Russian, U.S. Embassy in Russia uh, for, for several years. He, um, he wrote a book about Russia's need for a strong leader, like that, the, the constant need. Uh, you know, when Yeltsin was seen as weak, the, the Russian Republic was, was very... Uh, was was teetering. Uh, right. When Putin comes in, he's much stronger leader. He he rejects power, all that stuff. Um, Putin's in a game right now where almost he can't back out. Like he can't back down because then he'll be seen as a weak leader. Sure. He's got to have a way to to save face and get something out of the deal. Um, you know, I, you know, he wants to keep Russia or Ukraine out of NATO. 
Um, that's might be the Pitar that we have to sacrifice. Uh, nah, we, I mean, if you want to talk about saving face, we can't let that happen either. Well, I mean, we, we, we have to, um, the, 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 the compromise is going to be something like, okay, Ukraine gets to be in NATO, but they can't have any mess missiles or something like that. But we're not going to back, we're not going to back down on whether or not Ukraine gets to be part of NATO because that, that would be just as bad. Yeah. I just don't know that, uh, Putin's going to back down unless, unless he gets that concession. I think that's his big thing. The the other thing that he wants is is an end to the current economic sanctions that are going on against the Russian government, uh, yeah. him, uh, so he can free up some of that cash for himself. Mm, yeah, I, I will see. I, I if that's the impasse, I, I don't, I don't see the West backing down particularly. Uh, I don't see them backing down on the idea that you know, free alliances. Ukraine gets to be part of. NATO. And, and I mean, honestly, why would Putin care? Why does he really care if Ukraine is part of NATO? I mean, they're part of a military alliance. It doesn't make any difference one way or the other if they're part of the alliance. Uh, you know, it's not like Ukraine's contributing a lot of forces to NATO. All their forces have to stay in the Ukraine anyway to protect against Russian invasion. Yeah. So yeah. that part about it, but it's it's the symbolic alliance. Maybe. So, Maybe he does want a super sweet sixteen, or at least the quinceanera. I mean, like, let's do that. <laughs> the uh, did he get the big pretty ball gown and everything? Yeah, and the, and the okay. yeah, and that bear that he rides around. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I I'll be interested to find. Uh, <laughs> I'll I'll be interested to see what you know what. I, I feel like we're coming to. Everybody being done with it, like you said, you got, would you guys hurry up and just fuck? I mean, even even the Russians and the Ukrainians and the Ukrainians are like, this is really dragging on. But I mean, if if it ended up in a conflict, right, it would be disastrous for the Russians. Yeah, I mean, you think about you know the I mean because because the right strategy for the Ukrainians, right, is not to meet them on the field of the arm on the field of battle. The right strategy is to do what Iraq did, you know, no, the Fed no, exactly, yeah. uh, and then you know wage, wage a war of constant sabotage. Yeah, which especially on the on the the pipeline that's already going through Ukraine, but also hit Belarus. The Belarus they're putting that pipeline through Belarus, and and you know so there are targets for the Ukrainians to go after that will do far more damage to the Russians than you know exactly uh, what's what. Russia is planning on for Ukraine if they are actually going to ever do this. Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, we'll see, but it does it does feel like like it's it's sort of past the moment. Uh, I don't want to say that Biden played it well because I don't think he did, but I feel like uh, the posturing once it started to be once people started to talk about it, it was over for Russia to really get in there. I mean, if if they go at this point in time, because that's the other thing about it is so. Uh, during the first Gulf War, uh, you know, this, I can't remember which book this is in, but one of the people wrote about it talked about the fact that American special forces went into Kuwait and trained the Kuwaitis on how to uh, attack Iraqi, attack and disable Iraqi soldiers. Like one of the famous stories is that 
it used to be that because the Iraqis had set up checkpoints all throughout Kuwait and you would go there and they would stop and they would search you. And if you had anything good, they would take it from you. And so they would bake bread, but they would put soap in it uh, so that when the soldiers would take it, they would eat it and then they would get sick and they would be incapacitated. That sort of thing, you know, that sort of inside anti-soldier stuff. Ukrainians are going to crush the Russians with that. Uh, you just, it's very difficult to occupy a modern city unless, uh, a modern country, unless you can provide everything for yourself. And the Russians aren't good at that. You know, they're not, I mean, it's, it's the one thing that, you know, I don't like anything about uh, the military itself, but they're really good at like the quartermaster stuff. That's the one thing Americans excel at. We can make sure that everybody gets fed in the army. Yeah. Um, is, is everything in the in military. Right. And so, you know, you're trying to occupy a country the size of the Ukraine. I don't know how they do it. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of terrible ways that they could do it. I don't think oh, yeah. they have the stomach for, for doing that either, hopefully. Well, and uh, it's only going to take a couple months for the for them to be kind of reminded of their experience in Afghanistan. Exactly. You know, uh, right. This comment, I, you know, uh, let's face it, uh, there's, a, there's an issue to that. I mean, uh, there is some accuracy to it, but I think the parts that have already been ceded to Russia uh, unofficially are the parts that have a large uh, Russian population. And the Donbass region on the east side also has it. I mean, this is all the legacy of Stalin moving exactly in and out, uh, moving Ukrainians to the west and moving Russians into the east. Um, it, it's a long time, uh, to, to, uh, you know, these, these people have been there and this has been his argument about, you know, not letting NATO be in, in Ukraine and not letting NATO be in the Baltic States. Although we, we, you know, we told him pound sand on the Baltic States. Um, well, we told Yeltsin to pound sand on the, the Baltic States, um, because, you know, those States don't want to be part of the Soviet Union anymore. They don't want to be part of Russia anymore. So we we gave them protection uh there's a whole central part of that that country that is ukrainian ethnic ukrainian has a long history in that country that they're not going to be all yippee uh, happy about uh, uh being uh, absorbed into the russian super state yeah but yeah. Uh, full, full disclosure I, I am ukrainian by heritage uh and yeah it, it's exactly what you said you know they Stalin, in effort to sort of subject the uh, or make the Ukrainian subject, moved a lot of Russian nationals there, you know, by force. And now they're saying, oh, look, there are all these Russians here. Well, yeah, you put them there. But it doesn't make it any easier. Sure. I mean, the, 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 the best part about it is, you know, screw the boundary. That, that's where we should be in favor of no borders. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, free passage back and forth, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is, is, of course, that's not what the Russians want. Nope. You know, they want border control, their way, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's not our issue, um, but there, there, you know, there is. I mean, this is one of the big libertarian questions, right? Uh, you know, might not be our issue, but are there crimes against humanity that we would feel compelled to act? Yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, like Boko Haram uh, when you know they kidnapped all those kids. Or they can act all those girls, right? Um, 
Is that the sort of thing that, you know, if the United States had the capacity to stop it, would we say, yeah, we do that kind of stuff? All right, so let's uh, continue to pick on Russia. Uh, <laughs> Olympics. Uh, yeah, so uh, did you guys watch the Olympics? No. No. I mean, it, <laughs> they stopped it after the U.S. lost the hockey, which At I thought was for everybody else, that they canceled all the rest of the Olympics. But Well, the, the, the biggest story that came out of the Olympics was the story of Camilla Valieva, the Russian phenom, 15-year-old Russian phenom uh, skating uh, first – couple of nights of the Olympics, she and her Russian teammates won the team competition. Uh, or so we thought. Well, yeah, or so we thought. We, all of a sudden, you know, the, the uh, medal comp- or the medal ceremony was delayed, and people were like, what's going on? And the, the story comes out that she tested positive for some kind of angina med- medicine. Um, I can't remember what the... She tested, she tested positive. I was listening to something earlier when you said we were going to be talking about this. I was like, I need yeah. to be somewhat educated more than, you know, the basic stuff that I know. Um, she tested positive for the one thing that's on the list, but she actually tested positive for two other performance enhancement yep. drugs oh, um, wow. that just, that just aren't on the list. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, they, they decided to suspend her and that was appealed to the, uh, a court of arbitration for sport and the arbitrators allowed there's a uh, there's a reason why they they allowed her to compete and that it is that she is a minor and she is not considered responsible for her actions um and she shouldn't be competing that. that's the thing like i didn't <laughs> understand about this whole thing like okay yeah she's a minor i'm not gonna you know she, i don't think she should, should be suspended long term you you figure out how long that drug is in their system. And then once that drug is out of their system, once they test clean, they can go back to competing. Now her coaches should be suspended forever. Like mm-hmm. that, those, people who are putting dope into a minor. Well, to, since she's not competing team Russia, right? Because yeah. team Russia is already banned for doping. Yeah. She's competing for the Russian Olympic committee because they couldn't, they couldn't send a Russian team. Yeah. So this is the second straight. No, I'm sorry. Third straight Olympics that the uh, Russian team cannot compete under their country name because of, uh, you know, their, their doping history. Uh, in 2018, there were the uh, Olympic athletes from Russia. So it was like, you know, OAR, kind of a shitty 2000s band. And yep. then, um, you know, this time there were the Russian Olympic Committee. You know, let's start making it a little more painful to skate for Russia if, if you know, this continues, a systematic doping. Why don't you call them the system, systemic doping nation? Or <laughs> uh, actually, I use team team. I, I think that uh, next year they're going to compete under the name Commie Chusets. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, you got they got to make it painful for for this stuff, and you know, especially when the, on the systematic systemic stuff that they're doing. Um, yeah. the, the doping of minors, I think if you're a coach and your minor under your tutelage ends up getting busted for, for dope, then that should be a lifetime ban at well, all and levels. And we're so, I mean, it, it's the idea that the Olympics is a wonderful thing where everybody comes together, blah, 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 blah. And then we just sabotage. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Uh, <laughs> 
we literally sabotage that by saying, oh, you know what? We're not going to hold firm to any principles. First of all, how bullshit is it that the Olympics is in China in the first place, right? When, uh, and I can't remember her name, the Chinese tennis player. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. When, when she disappeared, somebody in the audience will get her name up. But when she, like, disappeared for six weeks, we should have just said, you know what? We can't send any athletes to your country for the Olympics. Sorry, China. And, you know, one of the things that they talk about the fact is, what, Peng where? Shui. Peng yeah. Shua. Shua. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Peng Shui, I think is how it's pronounced. Is that, uh, you know, it is, the United States is always the emergency stopgap for the Olympics. Because we could hold the Olympics in, you know, 10 or 15 yeah. different cities if we needed yeah. to. Right? And it's not a big deal. We don't have to build any facilities or anything like that. Although I will say uh, that, you know, the 2022, uh, the 2020 Olympics were supposed to be in Boston. Boston was the leading uh, bid. And the people of Boston said, nah, we're not paying for it. And in the contract, there's a thing that you have to sign that says, if the Olympic Committee asks you to build this or raise taxes to do that, you have to do it. And Boston, like super democratic place, they're like, nope, nope, we're not paying that. Well, I mean, you the the, the history of the Olympics, you know, you look at some of the previous uh, host cities like. Yep. Uh, you know, Athens is is probably one of the the biggest examples of this, where they have all these facilities. Like, there's a softball facility in Athens. They don't play softball in Athens. They've yep. got uh, you know team handball. Now is more of a European sport, but you know Atlanta has a team handball facility that I think is now a college gymnasium or something like that. Right. I mean, but these the, there are facilities that they pour all this money into that that just mm -hmm. sit there and rot. Rio has the same thing. Yep. Um, you know, I'm hoping that when Los Angeles hosts the Olympics in 26, I think, uh, the Summer Olympics, um, or, you know, 26, 28, somewhere in that that time, that they're going to be using the existing facilities, the Coliseum. The, yeah, the existing facilities. I mean, if you can put a damn NASCAR race in the L.A. Coliseum, you can do pretty much anything. there. Right. Like, For sure they can do all the track and field there. There is SoFi Stadium or, or any of the other massive mega facilities they have in in Los Angeles. So. Right. But obviously, since it's California, they're going to tax the heck out of the people to make it happen. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, you know, back to this whole thing of, of, you know, so we shouldn't have had the Olympics in China in the first place. Yeah. And then there's all the crap that the Chinese have pulled during the Olympics. Right. Journalists uh, abducted, um, you know, terrible uh people being shut down from doing interviews, all that sort of thing. And then this whole Russian scandal of, oh, we're, uh, you know, we're going to overlook this, even though it's obvious, you know, complete bullshit. Just pull it. Yeah, exactly. Tax. Shocking. 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 Um, but shooketh. I, I actually, uh, I think it's time for the Olympics to move away from the Olympic committee because it's too awkward for a million different reasons. I mean, First of all, the issue of trans athletes, I don't want the Olympic Committee figuring that out. It's so incredibly complicated anyway. It certainly shouldn't be done by, you know, people who can't figure out that it's not okay for uh, Olympic committees to be giving juniors drugs to uh, make them show up and perform better on uh, things. Or to uh, give a country Olympics when it has a massive genocide going on in the western part of the country. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> right. All that stuff. So let's, you know, screw those guys. Uh, let's just take you know, that's, I mean, that's a, 
almost a standard feature of a lot of these international organizations. Like, you know, who remembers when Saudi Arabia and Iran were put on the uh, UN Human Rights Council? I mean, like, there's, yep. there, it's just fraught with, with bad decisions because we want right. to give everyone a turn and, and, and you know, everyone gets a participation trophy. Yeah. Right. Breaking news tonight, folks. A group of libertarians <laughs> doesn't like committees. <laughs> well, I can I can absolutely <laughs> I can understand after being on a what an eight hour, eight and a half hour committee right. last night. Well, yeah, eight the, and a half hours. The crazy thing of course <coughs> excuse me, is that uh this is where multinational corporations really could step up step up. I think Microsoft and Amazon, they should sponsor the Olympic Games. You get it for free over your Prime Network. And all right, I'm yeah. just That's a good idea. Why not? Send that to them as a as a suggestion. Right. Let, let, you know, let them let them pay for it. I'm I'm more than happy to let them pay for, for all that stuff. I mean, we are literally just talking about idiocracy tonight. Like, yeah. Brando, it's, it's got electrolytes. Ryan, <laughs> you you like committees. We, not all libertarians like committees. Right. You know, you know <laughs> my, my favorite joke about this is a lot of people say, oh, libertarians love bylaws. No, we love bylaws. Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> nice. They give order when there's chaos, but, you know, they, yeah. We still don't want them. <laughs> yeah. And half the people don't even follow them as of recently. So. This is true. We, uh, well, it's funny. Yeah. I'm, I guess, Dave, are you going up to the Pennsylvania convention? Because I, I am, man. I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be rocking, rocking down and. Emily, are you the only one who's not coming up to visit me? I am coming. <laughs> oh, nice. Yep. I'm looking forward to it. Well, there's supposedly, here's the thing. There's this secret sandwich that only Philadelphians know about, or people in eastern Pennsylvania. The pork, uh, roasted pork sandwich that's supposed to be just as good as the cheesesteak, and I've never had it. I don't and so, I have been told, there's a place called John's. Yes. You know, you, yes, that's it? I've, I'm familiar with that concept, yes. All right. I am very excited for that. I mean... Is that the only reason I'm going to the convention is so I can stop and get a sandwich along the way? But, so you, I think that's in Philly, isn't it? Or is it? Oh, up yeah, in yeah, Philly. Philly. It was yeah, say, you're really boring just to get a sandwich. Oh, right, because it's in Harrisburg, isn't it's it? It's in Williamsport. Williamsport. It's, up in, it's up towards State College. Right, so I guess I'm not coming. To, I'm not going to get the sandwich then. Sorry. I, I mean, you can like. Yeah, no, no. There's, there's got to be some place in Western Pennsylvania that does it too, right? I don't know. We'll see. I don't, care. I don't know. I mean, the it's either that, that or, or Permantes. Like a, there's like a line, I think. In the, in the well, middle. the thing is, it's like with what? Permantes. Permantes. They've actually stretched across the state. We have two in York. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, we got one in Hagerstown, so in Maryland. Like yeah, they they're just now opening the second one in York County, so they're they're stretching. All right. Um. Uh, we'll end the show on two deaths. Um, such a, such a joyful note. <laughs> so, uh, uh, in recent days, uh, the one of the associates of uh, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, Jean Luc Brunel, was found hanging in his uh, in his jail cell. Of course, the cameras didn't capture anything. Who saw that coming? Yeah, 
now his uh now he's Lane Maxwell is uh her family is worried that she's gonna get uh, unalived uh pretty soon. Uh not that I would I mean look I, I yeah I don't want the state to to execute people. Would I feel bad if she, you know, took the eternal celestial dirt nap? No, but I don't want somebody to murder her. And I want information to come out. I want I want the truth to come out about this stuff. Right. This guy's death wouldn't have given me that fear if I were her family. Um, Epstein's death would have given me that fear if I were her family. Yeah. Just, I mean. Yeah, that's the thing. I we need the truth to come out about this whole thing because. Uh, it's, you know, once Gisele Maxwell does get suicided, spill the beans. Well, no, she'll probably get suicided before she spills the beans, or at least, you know, very quickly after she spills the beans and probably the person who recorded her spilling the beans gets suicided as well. Um, see, I would think, I, I mean, she should just hurry up and do it. That's actually her best defense. Yeah. Because once then there's no there. reason to silence her anymore if she's told everything. Yeah, once it's out there, that that there's no reason to kill her other than just straight revenge. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, really, her her best defense would be to just just start talking, just just yep. let everyone interview her and tell her tell her side of the story and tell exactly what Jeffrey Epstein did and who. I think what everybody wants to know who was in on it, who yeah. participated. If she did that, she'd probably get the security so that it wouldn't happen to her in th- in theory that, right. you know, yeah. that's, I mean, I would never put myself in that position. But... And don't telegraph it. Don't don't say, OK, well, uh, uh, next Friday at 2.30 p.m., I'm going to do an interview where I reveal everything because, you know, Thursday at 2.30 p.m. Uh, she'll be done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She just needs to. Drop the dime on Bill Clinton, and then we can get on with everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill Clinton, uh, you know, really put it out there on Prince Andrew, uh, uh, Bill Richardson. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of politicians that that have, have participated. I mean, it was funny because Bill Richardson was really one of the only people that got brought out into the public before yep. Epstein was killed. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, Epstein had a massive ranch in, in New Mexico and. Uh, it's sad because I, you know, I know Bill Richardson. I met Bill Richardson several times. I, I, you know, I would never have put that with him, but, you know, but you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because it does, like, I, I thought about this a few times that, you know, there was sort of this, let's call it what it was, this sort of skeezy, terrible man culture where, you know, you saw this thing that Jeffrey Epstein had, and there were people who, like they said, well, I guess it's okay here. They were willing to put aside their morality and say, oh, for this for this momentary pleasure, I'm going to ignore the reality that these yep. people are obviously captives here. Yep. And they did that. Mm-hmm. And you can't get away with it. You can't you can't get around that. And you know, I think Bill Gates is also implicated in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's part of that's part of the uh, divorce with him and Melinda. Um, and so it, it is this idea of, you know, the ultimate in elitism that, you know, there are people who are slaves and peons and, and, you know, goes to a lot of other shitty stuff, 
Sorry, dude. I, I like I have these hickory nuts and they're incredibly <laughs> hard to open. And so behind the scenes, I'm trying to open the hickory nuts with the pliers. Thanks. Thanks for noticing. Is it working? Does it work? It it does, but like it's it's 50-50. About half of them I break. But like a regular nutcracker is no good at all on a hickory nut. Like Man, get a vice at a handsaw, bro, and just better snack it half. chocolate covered popcorn. Oh, okay. Ooh, like she has the best popcorn. Or this weed edible. Oh, well, <laughs> this is this is white chocolate and pretzel popcorn, and this is dark chocolate with sea salt. You know, nice. I have been out of edibles <laughs> since Christmas. Sucks. Side uh, note. I, my son will be selling that popcorn as a fundraiser if anybody wants any. All right. That's All good. Right. All right. <laughs> and just to be clear, it's not uh, THC enhanced or anything like it, that. It is not. It's just okay. delicious. All right. Just delicious is good for you. you. You will still be able to compete in the Olympics if you eat it. All right. Well, that's, <laughs> well, that's never going to be a problem for me. Although, but, <laughs> but thank you for bringing that up, too, because uh, what's her name who got kicked out of the Olympics for weed? Uh, yeah. the sprinter man, she should be. She is. I mean, she's talking. She did. About yeah, she's. Yeah, it's completely bullshit. I did that on purpose, by the way, just so you that could have good. that moment. Very, very clever, Christine. Nice. Um, so the, what was the, your second thing, Dave? Yeah, uh, a second death. This one is a very sad one for me. Kind of the the one one of the the people that kind of led yeah, me yeah. down the path of of libertarianism. Uh, P.J. O'Rourke, uh, you know, uh, fellow at uh, Cato Institute. Uh, legendary author, was one of the original gonzo journalists, uh, was an editor at National Lampoon in the 70s, um, uh, he, and, you know, had a very career. He was like a war correspondent. He was uh, uh, one of the test drivers for Car and Driver and did articles on that. Um, but, uh, you know, just a, a great author, a great guy. I mean, like, kind of a man's man when you when when you read his stories. There, there were he lived his life. He lived his life very well. Um, and he died of uh, lung cancer. Yeah. Which, knowing his life, not a not a big surprise of, of you know how that took him out. But uh, one of the things, a great guy. One of the things that I I always liked about him, and I've been thinking about this a lot, is that he wasn't just funny, although he was hilarious. Mm -hmm. But underneath all this stuff was an idea of kindness, right? kindness to other human beings and i've been thinking a lot about how we've sort of a lot of people want libertarianism to move kindness out of the equation and i think that's a big mistake for us we yeah. are meant to be kind we you know the ultimate realization is that we are connected to each other as human beings and that thing that binds us is what makes our time on this planet special and you know, P.J. O'Rourke, and I would I would ask people, you know, they get chances, a lot of stuff out there on the Internet. Just read his stuff. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you feel better. It'll make you think, but it'll also make you think, you know what? I do have a responsibility to these other people. I don't want government telling me what that responsibility is. I don't want anybody telling me that, you know, this is the law and I have to support these people doing this shit. But I want to be aware of the fact that, you know, if I see somebody who needs help, it's okay for me to help them. That, I don't need to that, wait for the government. That's actually like the form of libertarianism that we try to like show the community here in New York. 
you know, we've fed the homeless. We've collected over 700 pounds of food for the food bank last summer. You know, we do trash cleanups in downtown. You know, we really try to show them that when the government is removed, people will step up because at the end of the day, it's about maintaining each other. It's about lifting each other up that you have a voice, you have a purpose. And I, that's literally the libertarianism that I believe in and uh, and that I'm trying to teach my son about. And uh, and that's that's what and I didn't I'll be I'll be frank. I, I didn't know much about PJ <laughs> prior to this evening and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I talked to my husband, uh, I researched him a little bit and just a little bit that I saw, you know, everything you said, Dan, is very accurate in, in the stuff that I've read. Um, and I plan on reading more because he sounds like someone, you know, I was asked on the last podcast that I was on about libertarian philosophers and stuff that I, I idolize is the way I took it. And I was like, I don't really have anyone. Um, but this sounds, this guy kind of sounds like someone who just, um, who really kind of understood that we all kind of need to stick together to make it through it. Yeah. I, I, I always bristle when people say, who do you idolize? I mean, it, for me, I've had my heart broken so many times meeting my heroes and, and, you know, it, it, to me, uh, you know, PJ O'Rourke was, you know, a great guy, great, great, the retail aspect of why we believe what we believe rather than the, you know, political treatise of, of libertarianism it was just really the retail side of you know why should we not you know advocate for these for more laws why should we uh you know uh, treat each other with kindness and respect and respect the individual um you know i, I always worry because i think that's one of the issues that we have with libertarianism right now is that there, there are people that will worship people within the movement to the point where they ignore the bad stuff. The movement. Right. They move, <laughs> they'll they'll, uh, they'll uh, ignore anything that, that really is kind of a, you know, a bad idea or because to, to speak out against them is to call them out on everything. And that, no, it's just, you know, a certain thing. If you're, if, if you're going to say something stupid, I'm going to tell you that, uh, man, I say, Hey man, that was stupid. I'm going to say, you know, Hey, I don't think that was really a great thing that you did there, but here's how it could be better. I, I mean, I kind of understand maybe what you're saying, but here's how it could be better. And we're just not seeing that anymore. But I'll, t I'll take that a step further because, you know, a little Dunning-Kruger stuff here. We, we don't have a monopoly on right. Nobody does. But what we do know is the things that when we see them, we're like, that's wrong, wrong. Yeah. And so, like, as an example, you know, there's this little brouhaha brewing about uh, – Texas and Spike and stuff like that. Spike did the right thing. And he didn't try to silence anybody. What he said was, I will not be on the stage with this person. So I am silencing myself in this respect. And I, I'm assuming that everybody's following stuff, although it's some inside libertarian uh, baseball. But it is that sort of thing of us saying, when we see something wrong and saying, you know what, I cannot participate in that. I cannot support it. You've got to do that thing on your own. And that's a different thing. And, that you know, you sort of see, I, I had the great privilege to be at the Virginia convention yesterday. Mm. And, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, you know, could have potentially been angry, whatever. Virginia has a couple good things going for it. First of all, they have, right, one of the great elder statesmen of the movement in Jim Lark. 
uh, who, when the time came, and uh, I always say the greatest gift that you can ever be given is a call that you can answer. They needed him to do something. He stood up. He ran the convention. And it went flawlessly because nobody was going to argue or question Dr. Lark when he was running the convention. And, of course, he did everything perfectly. But the other thing about it was that Virginians have this state culture of Virginians first. And it was really amazing to see that. And I experienced it in Texas. Massachusetts does not have that at all. Maryland doesn't really have that. But Virginia got this culture. And they're like, you know what? The things that you're talking about, we disagree with. But you're not wrong. I can't say that you're wrong. I'm not going to call you out and say that you're wrong in doing those things. You do you. I'll do me. Let's not make any rules. It forces either of us to live the way the other person wants to. And that's all so much more stuff than the yeah. way that we try to do a lot of other things. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, anybody? Ha- Christine, uh, go ahead and plug your candidacy again. Um, I'm running for the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania's chair position. Um, so if you are coming to Pennsylvania, uh, whether uh, in any capacity, you know, I hope that you support me. And if you have any questions, you can feel free to reach out to me on Facebook at Christine Kausler Womack for LPP, LPPA chair. Excellent. Excellent. Best of luck to you. Uh, can't wait to see you again in a couple weeks. Not that uh, far away. It's like two weeks, huh? Two weeks from this past Friday. Yep. Yeah. Are you going too, Dave? Yeah, I'll be there. All right, man. That's going to be fun. I'm yeah, we're going to have fun, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, Emily, are you coming? You're muted. She said yes. <laughs> I heard yes. I heard. I'm going, yeah. I heard she's coming and she's voting for Christine. <laughs> All I know is Emily keeps <laughs> avoiding me, seeing me in person. I'm just kidding. Oh awesome. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. You said you would come to Illinois, and you did. I tried so. really hard. Who broke the- whose heart, Dan? It was it was my fault. I can't remember why I couldn't come, but there was something uh, else. It was that y'all thing down in. Tennessee. Oh yeah, it was the big y'all conference. Yeah, that was it. That was unfortunate. Uh, so Dan, uh, plug people for liberty. All right. Well, so I actually I have some exciting uh, people for liberty news. Nice. We have uh, completed one of our giant projects. We have invented this thing called an invented the call, the critically analyzed liberty list. And it is essentially a list of anybody who has one libertarian bone in their body uh, across the country. If we can find a way to get you in this list. And so right now it's about uh, five and a half million people. uh, And we're looking to make it larger. Uh, One of the things that we want to do is we want to work with candidates who are running anywhere as a libertarian you give us your list. We will give it back to you decorated with everything that we know about these people. Uh, but the most important thing is that there are a lot of people out there who are actually Liberty people. They just don't know to call themselves that. Yeah. And what we want to do is find a way to let these people know. If I can sing a little Disney song, you I am here. With, okay. I'm going to stop. Yeah. Uh, but, that thing about it is that there's this aloneness sometimes that liberty people feel because they don't know that there's other pe- liberty people out there. If you have one liberty issue, you are a liberty person. We just need to start talking like that. So uh, it's been a really exciting project for us to work on. And now we're getting ready to start using that giant list to help liberty causes around the around the country. Excellent. And that's uh, people, the number four, liberty.org. 
Yes. And so, yeah, dro- drop by and uh, give them a like and a follow and and uh, uh, go and plug my buddy's business, uh, Travis Rennick, who was on earlier. I don't know if he's still on with us uh, tonight, but uh, he runs the Deep End Antiques in Beckley, West Virginia. Uh, and that's the Facebook group, uh, page for the uh, Deep End Antiques. They do crystals. They do, uh, you know, West Virginia is very famous for blown glass and all that stuff. Uh, you know, he does army surplus. Uh, he might have spiders in there. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, it's a, it's a great shop. Go visit Travis. Uh, if you find yourself in the Beckley, West Virginia area, drop by and see Travis Rednick at the deep end antiques, uh, and, uh, tell him Dave sent you. So, uh, Travis is my partner in crime on the hockey show on Thursday nights. Uh, we, we broadcast at seven o'clock Eastern time. Uh, talking about the week in hockey. So if you are so inclined, uh, give us a listen to that. Give us a like and a follow on Facebook, uh, Twitter. Let's see, we're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Twitch, LinkedIn, and uh, something else. Smoke signals. Yeah, smoke signals. I, you know, I'm I'm sure I'm, you know, some people are putting video hexes on me right now. So it's all good. Oh, <laughs> All right. So thanks everyone for joining us. Anybody have anything else? Emily, you got anything to plug? Nah, man. Weed. I'm high. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. That is awesome. That's what Jealous. I love. Love. Oh, yeah. I got to plug love, man. <laughs> love That's right. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, join us on the uh, deep dive next week. We don't have a guest, so... Uh, I might try and get. Uh, we're supposed to have Liz Terwilliger on the show uh, first week of uh, February. She got sick. That was the week I got sick too. So uh, I got a guest for you. Oh, this guy, great guy, Alex Bromberg. He started this thing in Lowell, Massachusetts, called the Kindness Collaborative, and essentially right. it's a mutual aid society. And what yeah. happened? You might remember, like three years ago, four years ago, in Northern Massachusetts, the. Uh, the gas company, uh, like they made a mistake and they overpressurized the lines and like 300 people's houses caught on fire, <laughs> <laughs> exploded from the inside. I mean, all sorts of really terrible stuff happened. You know, only one person was killed for, and it could have been so much worse. But all these people banded together and formed this mutual aid society. And it's still going strong. In fact, it's growing and growing. And like people are like <laughs> during COVID, it's been this amazing mutual lifeline. So I'll contact Alex, see if we can get him on. Okay, sounds good. If not, we'll just do a show next week and talk about all the fun current events. Christina, you are more than welcome to come back anytime with us and hang out with us. She's got to whip votes. She's busy for two weeks. Whip them. Whip them good. I'm not trying to whip votes. I'm just trying to show people who I am and what I stand for and let let the chips fall where they may. But if you do, you get that cool Devo hat. Yeah, I maybe Kevin will give you his king crown. There you go. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks. Night, everybody. Have a great night. Thanks.